Welcome to Happy Millionaire, a show about how to make profit with a positive impact and stay happy along the way. I'm Ruby Audula. You may know me from The Doctor's Kitchen across social media, my recipe books, or you may have seen me on TV. I sound like Troy McClure. I'm joined by my co-host Jay Rodia, a serial entrepreneur who has raised over 100 million in funds and has founded companies worth over a half a billion dollars. Last week, we learned about Rupi's career and upbringing, but this week, I'll be asking him more about his mission in life and what he hopes to achieve with his new app. This is the last of the episodes all about us, and from Wednesday, we're switching up the format. We'll be distilling topics and learnings that help us to create more successful, happier lives for ourselves. So hopefully you can pick up a good habit or two along the way. Let's get on with the episode. I know two years in or three years in, like you were getting incredible publicity, right? You were, you had appearance on BBC, you had a best-selling book, you're on Instagram. And I still remember this, right? You told me, your mum and dad, <laughs> even though you're like on TV, they'll be like, hey, Rupi, like, oh, when are you going to be be a GP again? You know, you've got supportive parents, but it's weird, but people don't know that. What's your analysis on that? Like, why do you think, even though you're doing good, you're making good money and you've got publicity and your parents are still saying, hey, go back to you being a GP. Why do you think that happened? That was kind of a low point, actually, for me. That was a really low point. That was a moment where I was like, oh man, am I doing all that I can do to actually have a big impact if my, my own parents can't even appreciate what I'm doing? Like, I remember chatting to my sister about that. I was crying actually, I was just pretty low. You, you described it exactly right, like Sunday Times bestselling book and I was doing all this stuff and it was a bit of TV and stuff. And then like my dad's comes to me, I said, okay, so like uh, how many times have you been in a hospital this week? Uh, like what? Uh, what's your schedule looking like and that kind of stuff. And I think they're very much tied to this, even though they're both in business, they're very much tied to this idea of, look, we've done all the hard work, we've done all the grit, so you can go to a top tier university and do something that makes everyone proud, something that you're aligned to and something that the world respects, which is being a doctor. There is literally no other way, even if like, you know, you're the next like Jeff Bezos, they'd probably still be just as proud if I was a GP who, you know, had a little portfolio of properties on the side and, you know, trundled into my surgery week in week out like seeing patients i mean it's don't get me wrong it's a really noble position it's a really privileged position to be in where you're a doctor you see most people at the, at the people at their most vulnerable you know the stories you hear the, the people who confide in you it's an amazing amazing vocation but for me uh, as you know is probably exemplified by chatting on this podcast it's about having big impact. It's, you know, that effective altruism sort of mindset where you're trying to go for the big goal and you're trying to achieve that scale and magnitude that you just cannot do if I was focused on being a one-on-one -on -one clinician. I've come around to this idea and this sort of identity crisis that I had recently. I feel that I've invested so much. I've gone into university. I've built up this brand. I've worked day and night so I can be my own boss. I work probably harder than most people would in maybe not medicine, but you know, in, in other sort of nine to five jobs or whatever. I work much harder than that, much, much harder than uh, people who work for other people, but I do so on my time. And I, I feel like I've earned that right and I've earned that privilege and I don't want to let that go. I'll never let that go. Yeah, no, and I feel like, 
This is where I feel like having a really strong purpose is so critical, whether you've got your own company or whether you're working for someone, because there will be certain situations like this, your own parents, you know, questioning your decision. Or there'll be times if you're working for someone, you might get a lucrative offer somewhere else. But it all ties back to why are you currently doing the work you're doing, right? And that's that's why purpose is so important. And this is why I've invested in several companies and I've built my own. And I always say that, hey, look, just make sure that purpose is really deeply felt because trust me, that is what's going to tie everyone coming back. It's like, and that has to be felt in the heart. So I really appreciate you sharing that so openly because I think people don't realize that even when you do great, there's still your closest people will question the decision um, from in a loving, caring way. But, you know, it's still totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely. It always comes back to like this loving, caring position. And I think and this is quite interesting because I had Julius Samuels on my podcast talking about why families drive us mad and they do drive us mad. It's because, you know, that could come from someone else and it you'll be like brush it off. But because it's from people that love you so dearly and have your vested interests, for some reason, we just react really negatively and they, they know what buttons to push and all the rest of it. But speaking really frankly, and I know we've spoken about this in private, but I think it's important for other people to realize if you're really aligned to that mission, it no longer becomes about the, the money, so to speak. I mean, obviously it does to a certain extent, but I could live a very comfortable life earning far more than I would do as a GP by just doing podcast, bit of speaking events, some of the books, and, and a bit of TV, you know, easy, like 400, 500K a year, just from that on a minimum, minimal spend. But I've chosen the ridiculously hard entrepreneurial route by sacrificing that lifestyle to build a tech company where it could all go to zero and I have nothing to show for it apart from like a few nicely branded logos and a podcast on, on Apple, but do you know what I mean? Like, so, so they're like, and that's why you're right. When you hone in on that mission, you know that's that's going to bring you alignment, and you have a filter, and so you know what to say yes to, and know what to say no to. So, I, I feel like we, we're given a few gems here. I think that the core, if I could like anchor it on a core message, it's like knowing what the mission is and how you yeah, get yeah. alignment in that. It's, it's really important. Yeah. Now that why that purpose is like literally the, you know, if you look at a tree, it's like literally the trunk, right? So it always, that has to be so strong. I feel that with our parents or family, I love all of them. But what happens is once a thought gets really strong in them and it's like, I think, you know, the base, I love studying the brain and like everyone probably knows some of the core basics, but like our brain are these wires. And once you have a thought, it creates a small wire in your head. And I feel like the thought of having a stable job is a why which is there and it, in the past that was such an important thought that it's just like become so strong in people's minds that hey have a have a nine-to-five job have a nine-to-five job have a nine-to-five job that's good that's good that's good and that wire is so strong that with this new modern age where like being an entrepreneur is possible unfortunately that wire is so strong that it just can't be removed and broken so that's really why you know i feel that the older generation are still stuck in their ways is because that wire is so strong it's not it's not their fault. It's just, I think the awareness that, look, times are changing is really important. I want to, we are going to talk about your app, which I think is such an incredible project. But I know from experience that when you were building out the Doctor's Kitchen brand, it was bloody, bloody hard. I remember speaking to you in some great times and some dark times, right? Most people will know, know this as well now that, you know, there's loneliness, there's periods of unhappiness, like our relationships get impacted, our dating sucks. 
dating sucked for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So why, why don't we go with dating actually? So you're a good looking lad who's on social media. You know, you get the occasional DMs when you're single. I know you weren't dating because I was I was like, dude, what's going on? And that pretty like, because you're probably attending some stag do's, you're probably going to weddings and like, where's Rupees plus one? He's, she's not there. What was that period like? And what was, yeah, what was your dating life like? It was tough because not only do you get this sort of like pressure to go back to being a GP or like, you know, a standard professional. I was also getting pressure around, okay, you know, settle down now. Like, you know, you're in the 30s. When I started Doctor's Kitchen, I, I was starting age 30. So in the in our sort of culture, that's kind of when you're having your first kid. I know things are changing and becoming a lot more progressive. It was definitely something I had a bunch of conversations about with my parents. And every time we'd meet, it's like, you know, have you met so-and-so's daughter or like, you know, what, what, what are you doing? You know, all these different things, all the apps as well. My work balance at that time, I'm afraid to say, because I know I'm in the wellness industry and I, I'm actively advocating against this, but it was terrible. Like I would be working as a GP pretty much full-time in the early days. So I was basically moonlighting by doing the doctor's kitchen stuff. I'd go to work you know, seven, 7.30 to get, cause I was at a GP practice in North London. It's quite a while away from me. I'd get there, work the whole day. I'd come back, I'd cook, I would do social media, I'd do emails. I'd work until like nine. I was writing my book at the time. So I was doing all the research for that. And then I'd repeat the same thing the next day. And sometimes I would do a, a Facebook live in the morning before I'd go to work as well. I remember doing that like week on week. Yeah, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah I just those. constantly brand building, brand building, brand building. So, you know, uh, there was this like treadmill that I needed to keep on going. And I don't know how I got up with that energy because I don't think I could do, with my work balance now, whilst not doing clinical medicine, I still struggled to do social media stuff. So, and at the weekends it was just slammed, man. So like, I didn't even have the opportunity to go out and date, even if I start- It's I a remember, lot of juggling. Yeah, I remember like having conversations with with uh, with girls and be like, yeah, I, I just don't know when we can meet up. Like it's it's gonna be tough. Yeah, what would you like to date? Because you're like, you're a GP, you got, you're on social media all the time. You ain't really got that much time. So like, you know, you've got loads of incredible things. And if I was a female, obviously I would have loved to have hung out with you. Um, <laughs> but like at the same time, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't be there. So it'd be like, it'd be probably really, yeah, probably be really shit as well. So like, yeah, I was great. I remember having some pretty uh, tough conversations actually um, with people. I kind of feel embarrassed about it. I'm like, I kind of let a lot of people down. I was kind. Of, I I learned to be very upfront actually quite early on. You know, the the, the route to unhappiness, as Mo Gaudat puts it in his equation, is where your perception of reality is mismatched with your expectations of reality. If you have this uh, perception and expectation mismatch that's what can lead to friction, right? So the expectation, if I didn't set those early on that, you know, that the reality is I'm not trying to ghost people, but I'm like, I'm very hard to like pin down. And it's not because I'm like going all these other dates It's because literally I'm dating my brand right now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in a pretty permanent relationship with my, my company of one. Um, and so that, yeah, that, that was kind of difficult. But one of the things actually that really attracted me to my um, fiance is that she she got that straight away. I remember there was there was one incident where I was gonna bail last minute. I was like, look, I've got I've got this book deadline. I'm so behind. While you're dating her or together? Well, no, when we're dating. It was like, okay, I think it was our wow. second or third date. I wanna say really, really early on. 
Uh, and I was like, look, I'm really, I'm really uh, up the wire here. Like I, I don't mean to flop like last minute, but like I, I, I'm really struggling. So I won't be able to make tonight. She was like, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. Listen, why don't I book a wine place down the road from you? Just come down. We'll have a quick drink, half an hour. You need a break and then just go back to work. And I was like, oh my God, that's a, thank you so much. A for understanding, uh, B tolerating my bullshit. And that I, I knew sort of like she she just got it. And like, I, I, as, as bad as it is to say, sometimes you need that person who's just gonna trust you in that respect. And like, just be like, look, I get it. Don't worry about it. You, it shit happens because otherwise there's always gonna be that expectation reality mismatch and that's gonna lead to problems. So yeah, that's it. there's Dr. Rupi's dating advice there. Just yeah, yeah, no. Find someone think... who's like ultra reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I feel like, it was a journey, right? You went through some tough times and you realized to, I think Mo would be, I love Mo. He's uh, someone that would love to speak to on this podcast. And he'd be amazing, dude. The happiness equation. He's in town at the moment, actually. We should go for coffee on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll, um, it'll be awesome. The, the explanation he gives for happiness is just so simple and it's on the money. It's just like, it is all about like making sure that, you know, you know, you manage your expectations, right? And I think what you did at that period was you just were upfront, right? So you managed, your own expectations and therefore you knew you were going to exceed what was going to happen and so simple i appreciate you sharing it and i rochelle is a rochelle is a g she's a legend and like you know for her to be so self-aware as well to realize your situation and you know let not letting it affect her emotions like she's obviously incredible what she offered there so no kudos to her and um i got a reminder of that story a bunch of times though she's not perfect <laughs> okay yeah yeah no no Rochelle, you got some work no no I'm not getting involved. You guys are awesome. Um, so, okay. So like, you know, you went through a lot, right? Um, in that period and appreciate you sharing some of your dating stories. That's the first for the internet. Rupee's dating stories are now, we've got the first, first episode done for his dating life. But I think next I want to fast forward to your books, right? So you've now done three best-selling books. I've been lucky and blessed to be part of all the launches. Basically, Rupee writes a personal message in my books. Um, the last one was actually a dick pic. Um, just thought I'd share that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's going to let me keep that in, but it's true. But Are you yeah, going yeah, to so... make that in, mint that into an NFT? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want, mate, we can do that. Yeah, you went all out on that dick pic. So yeah, I do have it. Um, but anywho, um, you've launched some incredible books. Can I just clarify? I didn't send that. I just want to put that out there. I don't want to give, give people the impression that I'm the kind of person that sends sorted pictures. That's a joke. Oh, no, 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 you did it. You did it in front of me. I said, hey, man, send me some like, I said, like, I'm going to play my punk. I said, hey, dude, write something really kind and loving, like, you know, really make my heart feel good. And then... That's what I got. So no, it's all good, man. I, I appreciate it. And um, that's all right. You've done three books, right? And I think we're in this era now where everyone is becoming more self-aware, more conscious. And what's beautiful to see is everyone's being more expressive, right? Of what they went through. And I love it. And I think books are one of the most humbling, beautiful ways to put it out there, right? And you've, you've been lucky to do three and three best-selling ones. So I'd love for you to just share like what, like any advice for people that want to express themselves maybe it's in writing format like you've done three best-selling books like what advice would you give to people that may want to write a book um even for me i'd love to learn the best advice i can give to people is to literally just write you've got to get the reps in so whether it's videoing yourself whether it's podcasting whether it's interviewing picture taking whether it's doing lives you gotta just get the reps in there is no shortcut to anything 
if you're blessed to have a book deal tomorrow and you don't have the practice of writing, that book is going to be shit. Getting to that point of when you get the book, you, you should have like hundreds, if not thousands of hours of writing in you. Every week I would send a newsletter. Uh, every week I'd be doing a blog. Every couple of days I'd be doing a social media post. Every week I'd be looking through research articles and summarizing them. And then I started interviewing people on the podcast, you know, and, and having to prep for that. So it was just constant like writing, writing, writing up to that point where I got the opportunity to express myself in the book. And, and don't get me wrong, like it was still a very nerve wracking imposter syndrome sort of inducing process. It always will be because my ego is tied to this book and I have to learn to let go of that ego and it'll be a lot simpler and I'm still learning how to do that day by day. And you'll get loads of criticism, man. Like, I mean, like sometimes my grammar is off on my newsletter and I have a little feedback section and people remind me of that kind of stuff all the time. And it irritates me because with a newsletter, once it's out there, it's out there. You can't edit it. It's not like a blog post. It's yeah, like- I can't take it back. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You can't unsend, right? So it's those things, like those sort of uncomfortable situations that have helped me become a better writer. But honestly, man, it's about, you have to just start. Yeah, yeah. You know? No, I love it. And I think what you're saying is like, the best advice I always give to others as well. Yeah, just start. It sucks. It's hard. It's like, because I think, yeah, it's all those thoughts that, you know, you said, like all those insecurities start coming out, right? And if you can go against it, that's great. And you said something about imposter syndrome. I think it's something that everyone faces. If you look back, was there anything that really stands out in your experience that you're like, hey, fuck you, imposter syndrome. I don't care about you. I think it's been more of a gradual process, if I'm honest. I think constantly, like, I'm pinching myself when, you know, my, my book was like number one on all Amazon books the other day because there was a feature on BBC TV and the way I'd cooked the recipe and talked about the formulation of the of the book, 321, clearly got people's attention and it just like went straight to number one. We must have sold like a couple of thousand books in a few hours. All that kind of stuff, like, yeah, it's like, how, why how at the end of the day i think when you find your true sort of like value in what you're doing it doesn't really become about the numbers the followers or any of that kind of stuff and that that's where i'm finding imposter syndrome kind of wanes because it's like if not me who and why not me and so you know i feel like i've got to the level of emotional maturity where i can put stuff out there and be confident and if it's not, I'm the first person to call myself out. You know, we've said no to brand deals, for example, in a very superficial way of explaining this point. Like we've said no to brand deals all the time because it doesn't align with my mission. We've said no to TV shows all the time because it doesn't align with my mission. So, you know, all those different things refine exactly who and what I am and also what we're doing as a company uh, and what makes sense. And that means that when you're doing that, the imposter syndrome sort of, wanes and i think also kobe bryant said something about this in an interview where when you go out onto the basketball court and you're feeling nervous it's not uh, the nerves of you going out there and you know you're worried about stuff that's just your ego it's just your ego and when you learn to get rid of your ego the nervousness goes because you're just a channel you're just literally like uh, a vessel for your movement or your message or whatever it is, or your your ability, you know, whether it's entertaining people, whether it's helping people, whatever it is, you're just a vessel. So just remove the ego and the imposter syndrome wanes. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think another way to look at it is, I know whenever I'm put in a tough situation, it's like, 
yes, that fear that creates that whenever you, whether it's public speaking or something really important, you get that heartbeat in you. I think it's either, yeah, one thing is either your ego, you're, you're scared, it's that fear, or I find also it's just actually you care so much about what you're about to do. It's actually a connection to that purpose because that purpose is so important, right? So it's a two-way thing. Yeah, but that, that in itself, sorry to go on the stoic rant here or the slant, but the attachment to that is the issue. The attachment to the external is sometimes the issue. And if you're too attached to something. Even the internal though, even the purpose as absolutely. well, right? You can be too attached to your a purpose Absolutely, as well. you can be, man. And like, you know. And that's a weird thing, right? You're trying to save the world and yeah, go yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah, I'm just like, I, I, it's it's a bit paradoxical because, you know, on the one hand, we're like, oh, you got to find your purpose. You've got to find meaning. That's what's going to give you alignment. And then on the other hand, we're like, well, if you're too attached to it and you're too attached to these external outcomes and they can be internal outcomes as well, then that's going to misalign you. I think it's really important to, to be clear. Like, you know, we're not trying to suggest to everyone that they should become this middle path Buddha and you should just be like completely flat in your emotions, which I think is the teaching for of a lot of Stoics and actually to get to that point. I think there is a healthy balance between all those different uh, elements of what makes you a content person. How I look at it is like, whether it's that fear or whether it's that connection to your purpose, it's you're gonna feel something, right? Just let that feeling naturally happen. You know, you're watching those feelings come out and watch them and like, you know, it might be fear, it might be excitement, but just watch them and let them happen. But really, you know, you you know, you're actually separate from. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. It's, it's the watching of your emotions is basically what they teach you in meditation. Like you probably know more about this than me, but the ability to watch your thoughts and watch your attachments and watch your judgments and be calm and peaceful around that, that's, that's sort of like the goal, I guess. And that's something I'm I'm working on hard, you know? I think that goal never ended. Um, <laughs> all right, so the other area I wanna talk about is your podcasting, right? Your podcasting um, has gone incredibly well, right? You're getting 500,000 downloads a month. It's one of the top podcasts. You're one of the first people to actually like get in the podcast game when people are like, what the fuck's a podcast? You are literally like one of the first, like with your good mate Rangan as well. Um, and I feel that, that was a big shift, big movement. Now we're doing another podcast, right? We're, we're both co-hosting one together. I'd love to know, like, what what would you have done differently in the first? And I guess you'd hopefully bring to our one. Selfishly, I want this one to be bigger than your first yeah, one, yeah, the Doctor's course. Kitchen. Yeah, but um, let's see what happens. But like, yeah, what, what do you think? Yeah, what would you have done differently? I, I don't. I, I think it's important to say I don't have any regrets about anything because at the time. If I went all in on podcasting, it would have been, there's always an opportunity cost with, with something else, right? Whether it's your, your time, your energy, your thought process. You know, if I'd just done podcasting 100%, I might not have had the capacity or the inclination to do the app and all the rest of the stuff that I, I have aspired to do. But if, I'll reframe the, your question for you. So if I had to do the podcast again, with the goal of making it the best and biggest podcast, what would I do? I think that's basically what you're trying to ask me, right? Yeah, and I think there's also the element of like fun. Oh, no, no, and it's also the element of like enjoying, right? Because, you know, once you have a podcast, you've got a formula of what works, right? And that's you now. People have got your persona. Hey, this is Rupee. They've boxed you, right? And you've got to carry on playing that role. Whereas this time you've got a chance to create a new identity. It's a different side of Rupee. We're going quite personal, a bit more raw. You're, you know, you're a bit more crazier on this podcast, I'd probably say. But like, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. But I want to know, like, yeah, what would you have done differently with regard to the the way I did? I went into it completely naive. I was sort of forced to do a podcast by my publisher, 
And I would have never have started a podcast had they not told me to do so. I just, I never really was a an avid podcast listener myself, if I'm honest. But then when I started doing my own, I started listening to more and I was like, this is a special medium. It's very distinct from everything out there. And I enjoy it because you can have a more nuanced conversation, which is less shouty than on social media. It's a lot more relaxed. You can do it in your own time. You know, I could go for a walk and I can listen to it. And I, you know, it just, it's something that I, I feel energizes me at the end of it, rather than something that I feel like I've wasted a whole bunch of time. Like that feeling that you have when you just like been scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, uh, like for half an hour, just for like, oh my God, where did that go? Never have that feeling with podcasts. I always feel like refreshed, energized, pumped, creative. You know, it's so, so powerful as a medium. And that's, that's yeah, that's why uh, I, I do love it. My, my personality, I reckon is slightly, it's a different part of my personality. I wouldn't say like one is raw and one is unhinged. I would say like, that's more like rupee academic mode. Let me try and educate the listener on nutritional medicine, how they can better themselves. This is more like, okay, it's a bit more of a personal podcast, but it's also another passion of mine. I do really enjoy that kind of culture of entrepreneurship. And I think that's hopefully what will come through in this sort of podcast because the, the two audience, audiences don't necessarily overlap. Okay, so Rupi, you've, um, look, at this point now, you've got three best-selling books, you're a social media hit right you've got um you're on the bbc tv and now today well probably you know in the last 12 months you've been focusing on creating this app right um i've been involved because i've been involved in giving some advice through this app but you are creating the doctor's kitchen app which has gone live now um why why do it dude like you've already you know as you, as you mentioned before like you're making really good income life is pretty good and now you're trying to you know you're trying to be a tech entrepreneur which obviously i love but like like why why, why put yourself through this phase, like this new phase? I I answer, I try to answer that question every day. You know, I think I've got to constantly like lean into that growth mindset and remind myself of the grander vision because the grander vision is to help people get better with nutritional medicine. It's to educate people, it's to make it easy, to help people eat consistently well. I, I need to fall in love with the problem. And the problem is people don't know how to eat well every day. And that's the consistency element that no one's really honing in on. People usually go on about, okay, I can help you lose weight or I can help you you know, eat keto. Or I can help you like uh, go plant-based. Like the problem is we, we can't eat well every day because the environment is conspiring against us. And being faced with this problem every single day and me just putting out informational content, there was a misalignment in my sort of grand vision. And I felt like, A, I'm not really getting to the root of the problem. And B, even though I'm using these tech platforms that have huge reach, there's, there's a high noise to signal ratio when you're putting stuff out on social media. You can go viral on TikTok, you can get an audience on Instagram, but at the end of the day, you never really have that direct communication with people. And I saw what Calm and Headspace have done for meditation. I've seen what some incredible apps have done for like the fitness community, like Strava, running and, and Kayla Sweat. I was really inspired by a number of those sort of founders. And it, I kind of just, kept on being led back down to this path of you've got to go into tech, you've got to go into tech, you, you've got to really create a tech company if you're trying to get scale and to have that direct communication that can truly help people. 
I, I ran a few experiments, right? Like, I don't know if you remember, I, I did this little like fruit and veg box collaboration to see, okay, would, would that help people? Like, would uh, a salad box help? Like you can order it via a supermarket, you know, via Ricardo and stuff. Would that help? Is that affordable enough? I had a bunch of other ideas about like a web-based platform that would link you up with like nutritionists and stuff. Would that work? So I did a load of like little tests here and there, but I kept coming back to the central idea of like, you got to create like an app, an ecosystem that makes it easier for people to eat well, order the ingredients and know what they should be eating for their own health goals. And so that's basically what I've been working on for the past like two and a half years is the headspace for healthy eating. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big change in that like, you know, you've been giving out content for free through books and I'm, and I'm a member, so I see the value on the other side of the app, right? The content, the, the recipes are now accessible, you're you know, showing us how to cook it. Was there a fear that, you know, now you're building a community because now this is a real community you're building. You're building a technology app, which is bloody hard, like creating a first step. Like I remember creating my first few apps. God, it was really tough. So there's so many new things that you're having to do. Yes, you had a community, but this is now a membership community. Um, the value of the content has to be great, which I know you're delivering, but the expectations have gone higher. What out of those was like the one that was were you most scared of? Was it building the tech or was it charging people for a membership? Like what was the one where you're like, okay, because like there's a lot of people like you who want to do what you're doing. So like, but what was the hardest step for you that you were like, crap, this is going to be quite scary? I think it was definitely a mixture of all of those different things. Probably the scariest thing is meeting the expectations that I assumed people would have. Actually, what I've realized is my expectations for the app are far higher than other people's. And I think that's a common trap for a lot of entrepreneurs. They feel like their product has to have incredible features, amazing capabilities before they can even launch. Whereas in reality, you should really be launching with a simplified product, a really, really simplified product. Actually, when we launched, the, the one of the reasons that I satisfied myself that we couldn't launch any earlier is because I've already built a community which has its positives and that you have a willing audience to cater for like off the bat but at the same time that audience will have high expectations you know i've written sunday times best-selling books the recipes are all shit hot the quality of the content is like super super high so that has to be reflected in everything that we do in the app it can't just be like a few recipes pieced together like every detail every feature has to be really really fully thought out as to why they're getting value from it and it's a it's a really high value product for the for the price i mean it's 49.99 a year and you get the equivalent of like five cookbooks new recipes the ability to filter increase and decrease the serving size step-by-step -step imagery for every single recipe like all these different elements of it that you you go in at the high level but i look at the app i'm like oh my god we've got so much work to do because there's so many other features that i want to build but i have to kind of check myself all the time about like Okay, what what do people actually really want, first of all? And also you're delivering a lot already. So like, just just calm down a bit. Just focus on like being steady, slow and, and considered with, with your product roadmap. But in the future, the way I want this app to work is in line with the way technology is going in the future. It makes just uh, the, the cooking and shopping experience completely seamless. So you can be like, okay, uh, this app already knows who lives in my household, how many kids I've got, what my allergies are, what my nutritional needs are, uh, how many meals I need for next week. And you can just go to like Alexa or Google, hey, could you get me Doctor's Kitchen recipes for Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday? Uh, uh, send that to me on Monday and make sure it tastes nice. And that it already knows what your 
your preferences are, your tastes, like everything, everything is just seamless. You don't have to like scroll through Ricardo and like, you know, figure out, oh, what should I be eating because my cholesterol is slightly high this month or my CGM monitor beeped uh, when I ate some oats so maybe I shouldn't have so many oats in my diet. None of that stuff, everything is all integrated into the app. So it just makes everything seamless. So that's like the vision of like where we want to get to. But I gotta, you know, hold myself back. All right, okay, we're gonna start slow. We're gonna build this community. We're gonna start from first principles and just see if we can build up to that level. But that's basically why I started the app. I think I know we're coming towards the end of the episode. What I'd love to know is like, at the moment, what's like keeping you up right now? I want you to be open with me and for others. Like, I know this journey's challenging and tough. Like, what's keeping you up right now? Uh, for me, what's keeping me up right now is um, building a team. And, and separating myself out from the processes, right? So right now, like I have to be the interviewer for the podcast. I have to be across all the recipes and ensure that they're all in line with the health goals. I have to make sure that our tech team are building the right features at the right time that responding to all the feedback that I get via DMs and all the other channels for feedback that we have. But I wanna gradually and methodically step out of the multiple roles. I need to fire myself from all those different roles so I can focus on what I'm, what my strengths are. Because I'll, I'll be very honest, my strength is not going to be building tech products. My my strength is going to be the ability to communicate, understand needs, think about where people have he- uh, pain points and barriers, and try to think about ideas in which we can overcome those. As well as you know being across the nutritional medicine space and all that kind of. St- that, that good stuff. The the process of separating myself out from all these, these um, roles and ensuring that whoever takes those roles is as aligned and as passionate and driven as I can be. They might be more capable than me, that's fine, but like they need to have that sort of same alignment. I know it's sort of like a unicorn, it's like wishful thinking, the, the fact that you, you f- you're gonna find someone that you, you will have the same energy as you and that's, you know, that might not always be the case, but you can at least try, and that, that's basically what I'm, I'm I'm working on. No, I love it, dude. And your you know your journey continues. I think for me, what I've taken away is that like your purpose of you know, helping people live healthier um, has evolved. Right, you first started with the situation with your mum. You're probably trying to protect, save her. Then it went to um, people through a, like being a GP, like helping humans as a doctor. Then it was through food, and now it's through technology and scaling. So, like, what's what's incredible is that your purpose has evolved, right? And I think this is a really important point because some people are like, "Hey, what's my purpose?" Whereas, like, your purpose does evolve and change, right? And it may get bigger, it may go sideways. It doesn't really matter. But as long as realize what you're really passionate about and you care about, and it does evolve. And I think your story is so beautiful in just showing how it changed and evolved and. I think what I really loved is that you're always constantly going out of your comfort zone. I think it's one of the most beautiful things in life is you're constantly learning and evolving. I think for us humans, it's you either put yourself out there and stretch yourself or you're going to essentially shrink, I feel like. You're not going to, I think, hopefully the listeners can see that. Um, and you've been open about it. You Your communication has evolved as well. When you first started, I remember seeing your first few videos, they're probably like me speaking and trying to put words together. But like I feel that the way you communicate things is so articulate and easy to understand so it's just very easy on the on the ear so thank you so much for sharing that yeah on the on the next few series we will be interviewing some of our friends we'll have some chats we'll see what um, people want to hear more about more about whether it's us or i guess we'll mix and match yeah i think that's the end for this episode um rupee is anything else you'd like to share no no that was a great summary man like i think uh 
I just want to uh, punctuate uh, the, the point on is the the evolving passion and the evolving sort of journey. Because I think if I'd started with this big, hairy, audacious goal at the start, I probably wouldn't have got to where I am at this point. And maybe I'll be saying the same thing in like the next five years. You know, what what is the goal got even bigger or is it plateaued or whatever? I think it's always important to stay just slightly out of your comfort zone. Maybe not completely, you don't have to like go completely out. Like my, my starting point was like, I just want to put some videos out there so I can have uh, a more efficient conversation with my patients. I can just direct them to this video that we've done, teach them how to make oats and teach them how to make some healthy recipes and that's it. That was literally the goal. And like now it's like helping a billion people leverage the power of food to prevent illness. Like, you know, it's, it's a very, very big difference in the space of about six years. So yeah, just to sort of heighten that. And yeah, man, you, you've done a great job interviewing, dude. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And um, look, the most important thing is that hopefully there's some gems or um, little gifts of thoughts for people. And I think, you know, the most important thing is just starting small, right? And that's what you did. And now you're here today and it all started small. And I just hope that if there is this feeling in someone to to do something just start small and you know it might be something a side thing it might become something bigger like for yours but either way it's all beautiful right just just starting is the game and um yeah i'm gonna i guess that's a good way to wrap up it's been good hanging out pal and i'll see you very soon sick man <laughs>